0: Today on Abounding Grace, some helpful answers to frequently asked questions.
1: You're wondering today, why do I live where I live? Because God has put you there. Why do I work where I work? Because God has put you there. Why am I in the family? My family is as dysfunctional as it might be. Why am I in this family? God put you here, put you there. He, he hasn't taken you home yet. He hasn't fulfilled his will for your life Yet. He's not done with you yet. And you say, Ed, how can you speak with such authority? How can you say that? And I would just propose to you very simply, God is not done with you yet because you're still here. This is a
0: On Abounding Grace, our teacher, Pastor Ed Taylor, will continue his verse-by-verse look at the Gospel of John by taking us back to chapter 17. When you think of the great prayers in the Bible, you have to put John 17 near the top of the list. The Lord is praying as he prepares for the pain, humiliation, and eventual triumph of his crucifixion. We'll pay particular attention today to his prayer for his disciples here in part four of The King Prays.
1: We are studying through the Gospel of John and have paused in a little series on prayer because John 17 is a prayer of Jesus. Jesus is praying out loud in the presence of his disciples. And they're hearing him pray. He he prays for himself, he prays for his disciples, and then he prays for actually you and me. Those that would believe later. And we're in the section right now of Jesus praying for his disciples. And, and it's, it's a beautiful thing to listen in to when people pray. One of the joys that I experienced raising my children when they were younger was praying with them. Because when they were praying, they were sharing their heart. They, they were praying in such simplicity. They didn't have a formal language. They were just talking to God. And a lot of the information that I would learn about my kids and a lot of the ways that I was able then to disciple my kids came from their prayer life. Because there would be times when they were praying would they forget I was even with them. They were so in tune with the Lord. They were so in tune of talking to God in their own age and what's on their heart and what was important to them that I would learn things about them in prayer. And that's what's happening with Jesus. We're learning things about Jesus and ourselves through his prayer life. It's one of the added advantages of praying. You may notice that when, when I pray, when I pray before a Bible study or I'm involved in a prayer group, I'm not reading off of a script. I haven't typed that out before I came and have a specific perfect prayer that I'm going to pray. But there are often times in my prayer life or if I'm praying, you, you may hear something that might prompt you to pray for me. Because I'm just praying from the heart. I'm talking to God and leading us in prayer. And it's perfectly okay that while I'm praying, that you start praying. It's perfectly okay that while I'm speaking to the Father in heaven, that maybe you're prompted to speak to the Father in heaven. And you begin to say, you know that, that what he just said just prompted me, I want to pray for someone right now, or I want to intercede for someone. Because prayer is a beautiful thing. And we can pray and talk to God in our hearts privately and we can also pray and talk to God from our hearts publicly and that's where Jesus is so we get to listen in and we get to learn what's on his heart right before he dies right before the cross remember he prayed to be glorified and that's a a technical phrase that he uses that's referring to the glory that will come from his death which we don't often associate glory and loss at the same time But indeed, God is going to be glorified and was glorified through the death of Jesus Christ. So pick up with me now. We are in verse 13 where we left off in John 17. But now I come to you, Jesus is praying, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray, verse 15, I do not pray that they should, you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. In Jesus' prayer, he mentions this a second time, verse 14, I have given them your word. Now those of you that have been studying with this, you remember back in verse 8, Jesus said something similar. He says, I've given them the words that you've given to me. Now back in verse 8, if you turn back, maybe you have to turn your page or just look back at verse 8, some of you did what I asked you to do. I said, circle that word, words, and right next to it, the Greek word. And the Greek word, you recall, is the Greek word, rhema, R-H-E-M-A. And we learned last time that that word literally means the spoken word. I have given you, so the words that were given to Jesus, he gave them at that moment. It, It has the idea, that word does, of the right word at the right time. And we looked at that in depth, the right word at the right time, the spoken word. So that Jesus, as he's walking and obeying and living in the Spirit, what God gives him, what the Father was giving him, he gave to his disciples right then, there, in that moment. And how often we can do the same thing with one another. God impresses something upon our hearts and associates it with the person man, we do well to give it to them. Text it to them, call them, show up at their front door, write them a letter that gets to them at just the right time. But the gift of encouragement and just coming alongside one another, the rhema word. Coming now to verse 14 when he says, I have given them your word. This is a different Greek word. So circle this word and write next to it somewhere, logos, L-O-G-O-S. Some people uh, pronounce that logos. Either way. That's the word, logos. And this Greek word literally means the written word. The written word. So, what Jesus is saying in his prayer, in effect, is saying, Father, I've given them your written word, which in that day was the Old Testament, known as the Law and the Prophets. Or sometimes the first five books of the Bible, we refer to them as the Torah, the Law. And the prophets. So Jesus did that. He gave them the written word, remember? He did, he did both in one example in the scriptures. And that was when he came into Nazareth. He went into the synagogue. He took the scroll, remember? He opened it up to the book of Isaiah. He read it. He gave to them the written word. He read it. And then he gave to them the teaching, the rhema word. He did it at the same time. And that was his life with the disciples. Which reminds us today that the primary tool in growing in your relationship with Jesus Christ is the Word of God. You are not going to grow without the Word of God. You aren't going to understand how to live in this world without the Word of God. You're not going to know how to be a dad, You're not going to know how to be a mom. You're not going to know how to handle conflict. You're not going to know how to be a son. You're not going to know what God wants you to do with your money. You're not going to know how to handle difficult situations. You're not going to know what heaven's like. You you and I aren't going to know anything that relates to spiritual things without the Word of God. It is his primary tool. Both the written Word of God and the spoken Word. the, The Word that is taught through the gifting of pastor and teacher. They're both important. The Spirit of God moving from us. I've given them your word. Notice the response to that is the world, verse 14, has hated them. And there's this constant tension. We see it in verse 13. I'm telling them things so they'll have joy, and it'll be deep joy inside of them. But then because of what I told them, the world's going to hate them. And there's a tension. There's that deep abiding joy that God gives us of knowing that we're right with God, that we can trust him, that he loves us, we love him. He sent his son to die for us. He's going to keep his promises. Oh, what joy. And at the same time, because of our, because of our learning and our sharing, the world's going to hate us. And that's a problem. Not only is the tension a problem in our lives, but... I haven't met too many people. Now earlier, and even last night I was thinking, I, I was about to say I haven't met anybody that likes to be hated. But that's actually not true. I have met a few people that wear it as a badge of honor that people hate them about the gospel. And they don't hate them just because that they're believers, but, but unfortunately they draw criticism to themselves because of their behavior and how they act. You know, the Bible says the gospel is offensive. But the Bible doesn't say Christians need to be offensive. You know? It's like, oh, they're persecuting me. They're ho-. Well, what happened? What would you do? Well, I just went into work after Sunday morning, Pastor. And I took my Bible and I stood up on the desk and said, all of you sinners, repent! And they started throwing things at me. And my boss yelled at me. And he fired me. And I just, everybody hates me. Dude, 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 dude. Okay. Too late to get your job back. But if you get a new job don't do that again. Because we can be offensive. You know, we can deliver the message in a hurtful way. We can deliver the message that they see us and never hear us. And and it's not a badge of honor to say that people hate us because of the gospel. Because here's the thing, if you and I, are truly living out the discipleship life, and we're a follower of Jesus, we're going to have so much of the Word of God in us that the Word of God is going to come from us. So if somebody asks us a question at work, we're going to tell them what the Bible says. And if someone's really going through a tough time, we're going to take them to the Bible. And because you are here in Bible study today and God speaks something to your heart, you're going to, if somebody asks you, how was your weekend? My weekend was great. I went to Bible study. Oh, Bible study. And and they're not going to actually like the fact that you're sharing a contrary viewpoint with them. It's challenging them in their morality. It's challenging them in how they view the world or what we would refer to as their worldview. So you've got joy fulfilled. And then Jesus says, because of the word I spoke to them in their life, people are going to hate you. And then kind of pretend that you're listening to Jesus and you're feeling the conflict And Jesus is talking about, I'm going to leave. I'm going back to heaven. And there's part of you when you think, people hating me, people coming down on me. Lord, Lord, I want to go with you. Take me with you. It would be so awesome to go with you right now. You're going, I want to go with you. I'll go wherever you go. And as you're thinking that, perhaps, Jesus then prays this in verse 15. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. What? You're leaving me? You're taking off and you're leaving me in this world? He says, yeah, I'm not praying that you take him out. Don't take him out, Father. Just protect them from the evil one. Keep them protected in this hostile world. Hostile toward the gospel. Hostile toward believers. Even to the point of hatred. Don't take them out. Leave them here. And our heart's desire, I mean, some of you, I'm sure you've been praying about this. That there's a part of you that wants to be delivered from this body of death. You know, your body's hurting and aching and making noises and arthritis is getting worse and the headaches won't go away. And for some of you, you've gotten a diagnosis that's very scary. They've used the word cancer. And, and you're just like, man, I, I just, I, I just want to go. Some of you have loved ones that are in heaven and your heart is like, man, I would just love to be reunited with those that have died before me. I want to go. And you hear Jesus praying, no, I'm not praying that you take them out. I want them to stay. I want them to stay. And that's God's will for the disciples then and for us now. It's God's will that we are here now on the earth. It actually answers so many questions in our lives. You're wondering today, why do I live where I live? Because God has put you there. Why do I work where I work? Because God has put you there. Why am I in the family? My family is as dysfunctional as it might be. Why am I in this family? God put you here, put you there. He he hasn't taken you home yet. He hasn't fulfilled his will for your life yet. He's not done with you yet. And you say, Ed, how can you speak with such authority? How can you say that? And I would just propose to you very simply, God is not done with you yet because you're still here. In answer to the prayer of Jesus, you're still here. God wants you to be in this world as hard and as difficult and as dark and as tasteless as it is sometimes. God has you here. It's not God's heart. And I see this in a small segment of the church. I haven't heard too much about it lately, but I do remember reading in previous years of this movement within the church, the movement of believers. There's this strict separatism. This sense of, you know, what we need to do, and here's how it goes. It goes something like this. Since, quote, we, end quote, are the, quote, pure, end quote, Christians, what we need to do is we need to get all the pure Christians and we need to get out of here, go buy a ranch or a big house in the mountains, put a big fence around us, collect as much food as we can, as much guns as we can, and as much butter. I don't know why butter, but butter is always a part of it. And let's go live out in isolation, separating ourselves from the world, and wait for the return of the Lord. It'll be so glorious. It'll be like a taste of heaven on earth. And we will just stay away and keep our kids away, and let's just live in isolation. That is not the will of God for your life, from this one verse. God's will for your life and mine is not to live in such strict separation. Now, I have to say for balance, there is truth in the scriptures where the Bible speaks of us to come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. That is a truth. But not the idea that you leave every unbeliever and you leave everyone away and you just have this little perfect in your mind, perfect setting. It, not only is it, I can, I can dispute that and show you from the scriptures that's not the will of God. But let me tell you this, just by practical experience, it will not work. It will not work. It will not be a taste of heaven that you thought. You will run out of food in those big buckets eventually. It will not be what you think it will be. And for one reason and one reason only, you'll be there. And you're not a perfect believer, are you? You'll be there. I'll be there. If we invited me, I'd say, sure, let's go live in the mountains. Eventually we're gonna disagree. Eventually something's gonna happen. You're gonna take a bigger piece of butter than I think you should at dinner, and I'm gonna be mad at you, and then I'm going, go, What's up with this believer? You know, as much as as much pain and sorrow that we feel in the world, I have to tell you this. Some of the worst pain I have ever experienced in my life has come not from unbelievers. It's come from people that proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. And we have to be careful walking in love. God is not, God's will for our lives is not separation. God's will for our lives is infiltration. We are in this world, but we're not of this world. And Jesus has left us here for a reason. We are in this world, but we're not of this world. Rather than isolation, God wants us to be about infiltration. And in another place in the Bible, Jesus describes us in the world. He uses two things to describe us. He says that we as believers are both salt and light. And that tells us a lot about the world that we live in and what our responsibility is as followers of Jesus. Salt, it's a great picture. We all understand salt. Now, understand in the first century, in the time of Jesus, the primary use of salt was for preservation, preservation, they would rub it into the meat, and it would be like our modern-day refrigeration. It would make things last a little bit longer. Think about it in our, in our world today, the preserving influence of the church of Jesus Christ. I mean, just in one issue, in one issue alone. Who on the planet Earth today, around the world, not just the United States, but around the world, who are the primary people that are standing up for life? In issues of life and death, who are the ones saying choose life? Who are the ones that are backing up and trying to protect babies in the womb? Who's saying yes to life and no to death and no to abortion? And then fast forward to those that are older or those that might have a mental defect or those that might have a brain injury. And as people are looking at them and saying, well, they don't bring much value to society and they're not as important to society and they might be a drain on society. And let's invent something. Let's euthanize them like we do animals. And people are standing up and saying, no, choose life. Who who are those that are standing up for that? People that follow Jesus Christ. That's the primary group that are preserving life in the world today. That's why the rapture of the church is going to be a cataclysmic event where an entire preserving influence is going to be removed from the earth and all hell is going to break loose in the seven-year tribulation period. And the Antichrist is going to come on the scene, and people are going to follow him. He's going to lie to people for three and a half years. It's, it's because the preserving influence of the Holy Spirit in the church, just that one thing. But salt is also a flavor additive. It adds flavor. Can, can you imagine... But, well, on my way to the retreat on Friday, I had a long day. We got here early and serving the pastors, and then I had meetings afterward and, and took a missionary out to see, you know, minister to him. And, and, and it was a long day, so finally, I finally left here about 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock to drive down to Woodland Park and join the kids, because I had a session at 7 o'clock, so I was going to get there in time for dinner. And so I'm driving around on I 25, and I don't know when it was, but at some point I started thinking, I wonder what they're feeding the kids tonight, because it's camp, and uh, you know, I'm not sure what they're feeding the kids, and I got this, I got this desire to stop at McDonald's on the way to the camp. Now, I don't eat at McDonald's very often, and I didn't want anything but one thing. So I walked in there, I parked, I walked in there, I didn't see the news all day and they had a news thing up there so I'm catching up a little bit what's going on and I go up to the counter and I say, I would like a large order of french fries. That's all I ate for dinner Friday night. I haven't had them in forever. And boy, were they good. (laughs) And you know McDonald's french fries... When they make them and they're nice and golden brown and they put them in the thing filled with salt, they take this huge thing and they just. And I don't tell them how much to put. I don't jump over the counter and say, no, no, no. I want my fries bland and nasty. Hold the salt. No, it's so really pretty much, besides breakfast, the only thing I ate. So just do whatever you want with the salt and bring those babies to me. <laughs> so they put them on the thing and they give them to me. And I'm, I ordered them to stay and not to go. And I've got the tray there. And as the gal's walking away, I go, wait, 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 wait. And if I didn't use these words, but this is effectively what I was saying to her. I'm looking at the fries. I'm liking them. And I'm, what I'm saying is, can I have some red colored salt for my fries? You know what red-colored liquid salt is? Ketchup. So I'm like, hey, I want my fries. You be as generous with the salt. It's free, so put as generous with the salt as you can. And then give me three packets of ketchup on top of that because that's how they taste good. There was so much salt on those fries that I had salt left over on my fingers. Now, I wasn't that desperate for them to lick my fingers. I wiped them off, but, I mean, can you imagine McDonald's fries without salt? No way! And I know you guys might be on a low-sodium diet right now, but you can have them. Just don't tell your doctor. Just every once in a while. And so I finished my fries, and I went down to the camp, and they had some great food for the kids. They were all happy, and I mean, salt, is, salt has its place. And you as the salt of the earth, you have your place, church. You have your place. Not only salt, but light. Light implies that, that we're living in a dark world. And aren't we living in a dark world? It's so difficult and so hard. But if we don't look at the world with the eyes of Jesus, we're going to miss it.
0: You're listening to Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. Stop by AboundingGraceRadio.com if you like a replay or listen to Abounding Grace through our app. Search for Calvary Church or Ed Taylor and download that today. We've been blessed in recent months as we hear from people who have called or written to let us know that they listen and how God is doing a great work through the teaching of His Word. We're so thankful to God for this. And if you'd like to share your story, please email us through our website at aboundinggraceradio.com. We really do want to hear from you. And we also have a book we'd like to get into your hands that can help you answer common questions about Christianity and the Bible. It's 5-Minute Apologetics for Today, 360 quick answers to key questions. Now, this will serve to help you answer questions about evolution and creation, alleged contradictions, and general accusations concerning the Bible. Learn how to answer the claims of cults and ethical issues like abortion or divorce. Again, that's 5-Minute Apologetics for Today by Ron Rhodes. Request a copy when you give a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. We're here to serve you at 877-30-GRACE. Again, our phone number, 877 30 Grace. And thank you for helping us get the word out on stations like this one. As you partner with us, it's thrilling to see how God uses it in great ways to bless and encourage so many lives through the radio and the internet. Another convenient way to make a donation is online at AboundingGraceRadio.com Celebrating God's faithfulness and goodness, this has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Come back next time when we'll return to our study of John. This is amazing Sing
1: great!